football, baseball, basketball, anything sports. Auburn's 91.1 FM WEGL presents the scoreboard with your co-hosts, Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. Your calls are welcomed at 334-844-9345 or follow them on Twitter at Jacob underscore Hillman 3 or at Bay underscore Marks. Now, let's take a look at the scoreboard with Bay and Jacob. Welcome into the scoreboard, WGL 91.1 FM, or if you're streaming live on WeagleFM.com, this is the scoreboard. Pitcher perfect day down here on the Plains Bay. Marks, as always, sitting alongside Jacob Hillman. 73 and sunny. No better day to do the scoreboard, Jacob. Picture perfect, to say the least. It is. Picture perfect. And you know what else is today? We don't normally give out birthday shout-outs, but a little over a month ago was my sister's. I gave her a shout-out. Three weeks ago to the day was my dad's birthday. Lil' Marks. Gave him a shout-out. It is. Lil' Marks 15. <laughs> So happy birthday, Riley. Turns 19, freshman here at Auburn. Uh, so happy birthday to the little brother if he's hearing this. If not, I'll just be like, hey, man, give you a birthday shout-out. <laughs> Make him go back and listen to the podcast. Hey, and you know where you can find our podcast? Spotify, Apple, wherever you can find them. As soon as the show's over, we always upload it, we'll edit it, throw it up on the internet, and you can listen to it wherever you find your podcast. So today, we got a packed show today. Auburn baseball kicked off their opening weekend this past weekend, swept Presbyterian, and set a school record for runs last night at Plainsman Park there, off to a hot 5-0 start. Auburn basketball continues to struggle. We'll get into that later today. <laughs> That's going to be a soft topic for us. It's going to be an interesting 15 minutes. And then we're going to finish the show off with the Utah Jazz, who are red hot, and then All-Star Weekend is approaching, so we'll talk a little bit about that. But first and foremost, foremost ooh, Jacob, we are going to talk about Auburn baseball this weekend at Plainsman Park. Sweeping Presbyterian, all three games, had a walk-off Sunday afternoon. Um, don't really think you could ask for a better start for opening weekend. The bats did cool off a little bit towards the end of the series, but that kind of... Uh, makes up for the 33 runs they put up last night against Alabama A&M. Yeah, for sure. I think Friday night was really, really a good start for Auburn. And then, like you said, the bats cooled off a little bit. Even Saturday, it was just kind of little spurts of solo home runs that put them over the top. And then Friday, or Sunday, I should say, they had to go to extra innings to defeat Presbyterian. But then, as you said, last night, 33 to nothing. That's a four touchdowns, a field goal, and a safety for Auburn over Alabama A&M. And, of course, you can't take too much away from that game because Alabama A&M is much inferior to Auburn. But it's still something that you do take a little bit away from. It's like, okay, Auburn has the potential. They faced bad pitching, and they took advantage of it. The one player I'll take away from it, Brody Moore going four for six with seven RBIs last night. He might have to play shortstop this weekend if Ryan Bliss' hamstring isn't A-OK to go. So... If he can keep that up, Auburn's in good shape in the Round Rock Classic. Yeah, Round Rock Classic this weekend. Um, a big thing going into this weekend was Jack Owen, who uh, one of the more experienced pitchers coming back this season, wasn't able to start. So Cody Greenhill, uh, who is normally the closer for this Auburn baseball team, got his first career start Friday night. Yeah, the first night of the series. Uh, started for the Auburn Tigers, got the dub, five innings pitch, only gave it three hits, two earned runs, three runs in total, only walked one and struck six out. Um I mean, you couldn't have asked for probably a better start than that from a guy who's been the closer his whole career. Yeah, for sure. And he cooled off a little bit after what felt like a 30-second first inning. But he still did a great job at really controlling the game and doing what he wanted with his pitches. He even threw some breaking balls, believe it or not. We haven't seen that from the Bull in previous years. Seems like he's added a few pitches to his arsenal. That's going to be big for Auburn baseball heading forward. Yeah, he looked really confident. He started coming out of the gate, um, was throwing really hard. He was hitting the zone. He was hitting the spots. 
And um, like you said, he's thrown some off-speed pitches. He hasn't really thrown a lot recently. So um, we'll see. We'll see what else he continues to do while Jack Owen is out. After he came out of the game after the fifth inning, Auburn had a different pitcher each inning. Brooks Fuller in the second inning, or excuse me, in the sixth inning, the second inning of relief. Seb Thomas in the seventh. Carson Swilling in the eighth. And then Trace Bright came in and closed it out. Uh, in the ninth inning. So Auburn baseball getting off to a hot start on Friday night. And then I think also the player of the game uh, is none other than Judd Ward, the most experienced outfielder on this team. Yeah, for sure. Judd, he had an absolute tank. He did. And so did uh, Rankin. Rankin did. Yeah, and of course, Rankin really did not have the best weekend in the world. I think he was 150 heading into this week. He did not play against Alabama A&M either game. So I think potentially just giving him some time to get his mind right, get ready for a big weekend in Texas. So I think Rankin, having that big home run shows, hey, it's not like it's all bad. He he still is the Rankin-Wally we know. He can still he still has the power. He still has the pop. He's just got to get the bat on the ball. Right. And then, as you said, Judd, very experienced, does a great job in left field this year. He was he played a lot of center field last year and towards the end of the College World Series season because Kaysen Howell has dealt with some injuries in previous years. But he's in left field, hopefully there to stay in case he stays healthy but doing a great job all over the place. So Auburn wins the Friday night matchup 14-3, to and then they go into the Saturday matchup. Richard Fitz, who has been the talk of the offseason in uh, Auburn baseball's pro prospects, he comes in, starts his first game of the season since the coronavirus hit last year, and Richard Fitz threw a phenomenal game. He threw five uh, innings, only gave up one hit, and it was a solo home run. Um, so a one-hitter, had two walks and six strikeouts, pitched very efficiently. Um, he only threw 66 pitches, so not too much of a workload for him, and he looked sharp out there. And I have a picture of him on my phone. I need to show you it because um, we were sitting a section over from each other. I counted at one time six or seven scouts right in front of Auburn's uh, student section watching Fitz. Well, in the first inning, he touched 97 miles per hour. He did. He was juiced. And he, he did fall out, He did fall down to about 92, which is kind of interesting. He wants to get up to 95 miles an hour to keep that as an average. But the home run, he's prone to that. He gives up fly balls, and that one, it just carried. So that's something you're going to see from him. But if he can do what he did in those first four innings, it won't matter. Yeah, and I was about to say, that was kind of the the mantra of Saturday's game was the fact that both teams were just hitting the ball in the air a lot. Um, me and my little brother, Riley, was his first college baseball game, or game as a student, and we were talking about how Auburn couldn't get the ball on the ground. It was just a fly ball fest Saturday. Um, I think something else to note is Richard's roommate, actually, Hayden Mullins, he came in for relief, the first inning of relief. Uh, only through that inning, he had the bases loaded with no outs, put himself in a huge jam, and I think he really fed off the crowd, and Hayden showed some signs of strength, and he even pitched in the midweek uh, yesterday, and he looked strong that time, too. Yeah, he did. He got two strikeouts on Saturday, and then two more last night against Alabama and A&M, but of course, the, the more important ones were when he had the bases loaded and he got out of that inning and he ended up getting the win on Saturday because the game was tied 1-1. to I, I mean, that changes the whole game. It did. You're tied 1-1. to If you give up any runs, Presbyterian's looking to win that game. Get out of it, and it's smooth sailing for Auburn. And somebody else that was a big talk of the offseason was Bryson Ware, uh, transferring to Auburn. You were talking about how in the practice games that you go to, he's hitting bombs, and he hit his first one Saturday. <laughs> I'm telling you guys, he's leading this team in home runs, and he showed us why twice it was a con- it was a controversial kind of home run at first because i thought it was fair it might not have been fair but who knows it it was called fair that's all that matters but he had another home run against alabama a and m he has the pop i was like a 408 foot homer too yeah it was, it was. A bomb his, his 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 average even is gonna be pretty good he he was at 400 or so coming out of the weekend 
Didn't do well on Tuesday. Then last night, I think he went like four for four or something. And he got it back up to about 500. That will drop. That will go down to about 300. But if he can stay above 300, this Auburn offense is going to be explosive. Yeah, I mean, he batted two for four that day on Saturday where he had that home run over the Green Monster. Um, I think he's he's a guy that Auburn's going to be able to count on for this whole season. The biggest question is what position does he play? DH, first base, or right field? Because something we haven't talked about yet, Stephen Williams played catcher he did. twice over the weekend. He did. So uh, there's a lot that can go into it. I think the ideal lineup is Williams at catcher, Bryson Ware at first base, and he had Josh Hall in right field, and then Tyler Miller, and you can plug and play the the hot hitter at DH. Tyler Miller, he did really good last he night. Did. He had a home run. Yeah. So you have so yeah, many options. On, or on Friday, he and then John Samuel Shanker started Saturday. You have so many options yeah. with this Auburn baseball team out in the field, the positions they play. The I think the only locked in positions are really left field, center field, and shortstop. Those and third the, base. Third, in a way, I think he just didn't play at first any at all over the it, weekend. Yeah, it's it. It's interesting what third base will happen because I think Tyler Miller can play that really well. Uh, Bryson Ware can play third base. He I think he can play anywhere on the field to be honest. But it's one of those things that it's locked in because it's ranking. But I also feel like they won't hesitate to move him around in a different place. Like he can move to second base. He played yeah. second base in a scrimmage and he did pretty well. So the only position I say are locked in at all this season is shortstop, left field, center field, and that's it. Yeah, and that's just well, and that's you could consider a strength because you know throughout the SEC gauntlet, I think that's something that has kind of been the Achilles heel of Auburn since Butch has been here is. We've had good players. It's just the depth hasn't really been there. Um, and I think a lot of these non-con games, especially this weekend in Texas and this past weekend in midweek games, um, those positions you're talking about and those different guys that can shuffle around, I think an important thing for Butch is going to be he's going to have to continue to shuffle those guys around. So they're still getting reps at those positions. They're still getting quality at-bats to those positions. Um, that way down the line, when those guys are needed, they can come in and not skip a beat. Yeah, you're right, because you, you don't want to sit a guy for – several weeks and then someone goes down with an injury and you force them in the lineup and it takes them a series and a half to really get going you want to be able to come in and immediately make an impact and sometimes guys will come in and immediately make an impact without any playing time but it's not the usual thing you you want them to be warm ready to go and I think Auburn's doing that I think every player except one or two played against Alabama in this series and ranking was one of them I think that's more of a mental thing like hey that was not a good series Get your mind right. He knows how to play baseball. He knows how to play yeah. college baseball. Yeah. It's fine for him to sit out, whereas a bunch of other guys, the younger guys, get them in, get them experience, and see what they can do. One thing that we haven't mentioned yet before we go to break is uh, Saturday afternoon when Richard Fitz uh, was on the mound, um, Nate LaRue was behind the play. They were the battery coming out of the gates. They called their own game. Yeah. Fitz and LaRue, they yeah. didn't take any signs from from Butch or Huddy in the dugout. They called their own game. Um which is kind of phenomenal. I think this is something we might see that going forward is LaRue starts with Richard on Saturdays. Which gives Steven a great break. It does. And, well, I think, yeah, he started at DH that day. Yeah, they don't want him in right field. So it's see, that's the versatility that you're talking about. It, 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 it's so important to have that in baseball, especially when someone goes down with an injury. It doesn't matter. You've got another player that is just as good as them. Maybe not at that position. Well, when somebody like Ryan Bliss goes down and need a guy like Brody Moore to shift over, well, who's going to play second? Farquaad. Exactly. Well, then who goes plays this position? Yada, yada, yada. So so on, so on. Auburn's fine when it comes to depth. Pitching-wise, I think that's still – 
I mean, they still have depth there. It's just just got to be worked on a little bit. Exactly. And I think it's just whenever those guys get in their grooves, and I'm not saying anyone pitched badly. No, they actually had a good weekend pitching. But they didn't show out like the bats did, in my opinion. Yeah. Because it was Friday was great. Saturday was okay. Sunday was not good. But then Tuesday, Wednesday was great again, of course, against inferior competition. But it's still something that you have to do whenever you play a team like Alabama A&M. I think Seb's going to be a big part of that bullpen. Yeah. He pitched very well Friday night and even the rest of the weekend and whatnot. Yeah, and they, they wrote about him. He had two appearances, zero ERA, gave up two hits in three innings and two-thirds with three strikeouts. Yeah. He is very much... Last year, obviously, you can't take much from it just because it only was 15 games or so. Didn't even get to conference play. But Seb looks like he's taking the next step. Yeah, Seb's gonna be Seb's gonna be a big guy going forward that Auburn's gonna count on. Hey, he is a big guy, <laughs> literally. Yeah, he's got a very big physical presence. But uh, no, I think I think pitching definitely does still have depth. But I think he put it very well. Was despite Auburn, they pitched very well uh, these first five games out of the gate. I still think that's something that's a little less reliable than the bats. I think the I think the good thing is there was nothing notable. It's not like. No one came out. It's not like on one game Auburn gave up eight runs. The exactly. most runs Auburn gave up was three. Yeah, no, nope. no, it was Sunday. Um, no, well, they, they gave up one on Sunday, right, one on right. Saturday, three on Saturday, or three Friday. on Friday. Yeah. The good thing is, the good thing is they never gave up like eight runs. Yeah, they never they didn't strike out fifteen guys. They did strike out ten bladders in every game, but that's kind of as a collective unit. You didn't have one guy come in and dominate. But that's the first weekend kind of thing. They're not going to go above seventy something pitches, and we saw that with all yeah. three pitchers. So, I think this weekend is where we might start to see that come into form. Well, yeah, because you look at, well, and we'll get into it the next segment, it's Oklahoma, Baylor, and Texas A&M, and, you know, that's going to be a huge measuring stick out of these first five games. Yeah, and, and, and the interesting thing is, Auburn is the only team with a winning record out of these four squads. We'll see if they keep it going this weekend. Auburn baseball. On a roll. We're going to talk about their three games this weekend in Texas against Oklahoma, Baylor, and A&M. Don't go anywhere. This is the Scoreboard Live on Weagle 91.1 FM. Thank you for tuning in to the Scoreboard with Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. You can find the Scoreboard podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcasts. Welcome back into the Scoreboard here on Weagle 91.1 FM. We're streaming at WeagleFM.com. Jacob Hillman with you alongside Bay Marks. We just recapped this past weekend and two midweek games for Auburn baseball. Let's move in to this coming up weekend. It's the Round Rock Classic for Auburn baseball. They'll be facing the likes of Oklahoma, Baylor, and Texas A&M in that order Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. These games will be at 12 o'clock noon, 12 o'clock noon, and 11 a.m. All flow sports, unfortunately, a paid service. But you can always listen on the Auburn Sports Network with... Andy Burcham and Brad Law. Well, Andy actually won't be there. He's got basketball on Saturday. So it'll probably be Brad and uh, Mark Fuller, maybe? Someone will go. Maybe yeah. Paul Allen. Maybe we'll see. Paul. But, nonetheless, a big series to get some wins against Power 5 opponents, help that RPI, and really get the resume going. Because the teams you just played this past weekend, you did what you were supposed to do to them. I mean, maybe not 33 runs, but still, they expect you to win that game. These games, you can go in, get two out of three, or maybe even sweep. That's going to help the resume come May. And I don't, yeah, exactly. I don't think Auburn's going to outscore their opponents fifty-one to two this weekend like they did against nope. Alabama A&M. But um, yeah, I mean, a sweep mm, is going to be really tough, despite these teams how they've done so far this year. Um, 
before we get into the analysis, I think Auburn walks out of this weekend two and one. That should be the expectation. I think Auburn Auburn's gonna win either both Big Twelve games or they'll beat just Baylor and AM. Here's how I'd put it. The expectation is two and one. You will accept one and two. Do not get swept. Well, yeah, you don't ever want to get swept. I mean, obviously, but you know, whenever whenever you travel to Ole Miss in March and you get swept in, you're not gonna be too mad. That team is very, very good. number one. Yeah. Number one for a reason. This weekend, you're playing a bunch of teams that don't have a winning record. You need to get one of them. That are still quality teams. They are. They're quality teams. And here's something I didn't think about till this afternoon. I, I, I was on On the Line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater, two former Weagle alums. They host On the Line on ESPN 106.7. And something I didn't consider. These teams really didn't. The week leading up was freezing cold. Exactly. They really probably didn't get to practice. They didn't really have... The, the preparation they needed for opening weekend for the week prior. And that's what exactly what I was about to say was the fact that Auburn's the only team in this tournament that's not from Texas or Oklahoma. So, and like like I just said, those those states were frozen for the week leading up to opening weekend. They were. And I think, what team was it? It might have been Oklahoma that only got two. Yeah, Oklahoma got a Sunday-Monday series in against Omaha. When Baylor and Texas A&M were able to get three-game series in against their opening weekend opponents. But... Oklahoma only got two games in. Yeah. Now, with that being said, they lost to Omaha, who is a who who is usually a solid mid-major team. Lost three to six, then one eight to five. Played Stephen F. Austin, another solid mid-major. Lost five to nine, and UT Arlington on last night won seven to one. I'm not as Oklahoma is a team. I'm glad it's on Friday night. I'm glad you have what Coach Butch Thompson assumes to be the ace and Cody Greenhill going against them, and then Baylor. I don't know about this team. I really don't. UT Rio Grande Valley losing to them four to seven to eight to nine back to back games and giving up seven runs in your win. That that is cause for concern if you are a Baylor fan. Yeah. I really don't know if this Baylor team's gonna bounce back like they want to. And especially they'll be going up against Richard. And if he's throwing the heat like he was last Saturday, it's gonna be tough to get a hit off him. No, yeah. Fitz was Fitz was pumping gas last week, so um, that that's a recipe for disaster if you're Baylor Bear. If Fitz is continuing that and the bats continue to be hot, but um, regardless, like I said, no matter, I, I'm still waiting to see after this weekend to put a measuring stick on any four of these teams, right? Just because it, outside of Auburn, these three teams are year in and year out uh, contenders for the tournament and get to the regionals and supers. Um, and Auburn this year is a great team as well, so I th- I think. This weekend is a great measuring stick. You've already gotten two series out of the way against two teams that really aren't great. And then you go up against a lineup like this. And then you come back home and play Jacksonville State, who's also a really good team. But um, And, and moving on to Texas A&M, this, this is the best measuring stick in my opinion because they had a series against Xavier. Auburn next weekend will play a four-game series against Xavier. Now, of course, as I said, Texas A&M probably didn't get to practice as much as they'd like to leading up to that series. Where they lost six to ten, zero to two, and then one fifteen to nothing. So I don't know what to think of that. See, and that's going to be tough because it's a Sunday game. So mm-hmm. which not, not nothing against Mason or anything. It's just like it's just it comes down to are we going to start him again? True. And it's like what do we have left in our bullpen that we can use? Yeah, I doubt that because before the season, Coach Thompson was talking about Mason Barnett is our Sunday starter until Jack Owen gets back. It's, it's that simple because he doesn't want him having the mindset of, am I going to start this weekend or am I going to close out a game this weekend? What am I going to do? 
I think it's very important to make sure he is consistently starting until Jack gets back. Because that's exhausting mentally. It is. And especially when it's leading up to it, especially when you know come out coming down to the late innings on Saturday, if it's a close game, you he wants to know, all right, I can sit back, relax, get my mind right for tomorrow instead of am I going in in the next inning or exactly. what? But like I said, AM has been so up and down. They lost two out of three to Xavier, and then they lost to Abilene Christian six to five, and it took ten innings to beat Tarleton State, who the only reason I've heard of them before last night was because they beat New Mexico State in football in their first ever Division One game by like 30. <laughs> New Mexico State's a dumpster fire in football. We're not going to talk about that, but just thought I'd mention it. Texas A&M, hey, they might be that seventh team in the West. See, and we talked about it last week. You just never know. I mean, with SEC baseball, you really don't. You don't know. And the SEC, West or East, can't tell. I think the only thing you can tell is that Missouri – and Kentucky are going to be your bottom two teams. And then everyone else. There's kind of a fluster. Who knows? I think everyone else could win the league. Ole Miss is probably going to win the league. But it's just one of those things where you never know. Auburn might sneak up and just go on a tear. Whereas well, you just don't know. So, Well, speaking of this weekend and speaking of Auburn, uh, let's, let's go into Friday night. Um, let's, let's, if you're Butch Thompson, what is your set starting lineup after seeing five games of mix and match lineups? Um, what lineup do you see? Well, you're obviously going to lead off of Judd Ward, and then in left field. See the 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 issue here is I don't know if Ryan Bliss is going to play. I'll assume he's going to play. Let's presume he plays. I think he's getting better and he'll be able to play. Ryan Bliss is your second hitter and shortstop. Third hitter Bryson Ware. Where does he play? Put him at first base. Wow. And then fourth hitter Stephen Williams at catcher. Fifth hitter Rankin Wally at third base, and then I'll put Brody Moore. At six. Playing oh. second base? Yeah, playing second base. And then, you know, I think I think I like this, actually. And then you, um, who am I missing? Case and Howell. Howell. Case and Howell at seven. And then. At DH and right field. DH and right field. DH, Tyler Miller. Okay, I'm going to put, I'm going to put Tyler Miller at seven instead. And then move back, uh, Kaysen to the eighth spot. Josh Hall is a nine. You kind of have that back-to-back leadoff type hitters. I really like that. Putting someone like that at nine and having Judd come right up, I think that's a good lineup. I don't dislike it. Uh, I would, I'd put Judd, lead him off in left field, assuming Ryan plays second with Ryan at short, and then I would also put Ware at third. But where do you play him? In the field. <laughs> or do you not play him in the field? It's tough. Because you either play him at first or right, and it, then it comes down to who would you rather have well, in the lineup, Josh Hall or Tyler Miller? That's what's crazy is you just really like you have so many options. It's like I'll, I'll play fair and I'll say I'll I'll give Tyler the benefit of the doubt and say he stays in. So I'll give Bryson the DH role. The only problem I have with your lineup is that Rankin's not at four. That Stevens at four. I would still put Rankin at fourth at third, and then Steven behind the plate at five, uh, just because I still want Rankin right there, just because mm-hmm. of what I've known he can do. Six hole. I would put Brody at second. I like that as well. Especially after that that last game. Yeah. Um, yeah. Seventh, I would DH uh, Bryson. Or no, not Bryson. Uh, I'd put Tyler Miller, first baseman. Center field, Kaysen, and then right field, Josh Hall. Well, and then, I mean, Kaysen, he's hitting in the 100s. So you need him to get yeah. going. Kaysen's bat. Fresh, he, fresh, he, freshman year wasn't in. great. He's locked in at center field because of his defensive ability. Well, because freshman year, his bat wasn't great. And then last year, the sample size was too small to tell. And it, 
I know it was just opening weekend, but even after opening weekend, it was just like, yeah. Might as well put Cody in the batter's box and DH for Kaysen. And that is the reason. <laughs> and that is the reason I put Rankin at five. Is just like, that last weekend was not good. Of course, he did have that home run, so he, there was a positive out of it. But Steven's doing all right, so I think it's okay to put him at four. Now, with that being said, Rankin goes three for four, moving back up. Shoot, you could even put Bryson at four and put Steven or yeah. him in third, but you're not going to do that. See, I don't think Bryson is going to end up. I mean, he could be, but I don't think I think that three spot's perfect for him. Oh, down the road he'll be a four spot though. Yeah, I just right now getting him in the groove. Yeah, which <laughs> there's not much for him to do to get in the groove. He's already there. Yeah, he's just he's so tall. He's six three. He's a big body and can move. He he can run too. He can. I mean, I, he's like, an athlete. I'm telling you, listen. Before the season, I was hyping him up, and you know, in my mind, I'm like. Surely he's gonna dud. No, he's. I might actually be right about this. So far, he's playing very well. I expect him to lead the team in home runs, even over Judd. Yeah. You know what's crazy? Judd Ward's only had like nine career home runs. We yeah. talked about this. I've I think. witnessed like three of them. I swear, I've seen him hit like a dozen or so. Well, obviously, the most electric one. Were you at the Tennessee game at the Met yep. when we were playing Tennessee at the Met, and he hit that one over the right field wall, and it was just all Auburn from there. He's a He's a great I think pull Elliot, hitter. Did Elliot Anderson start? It was. Yeah. It was that Elliot. Was a, that was a cool game. Yeah. And, and then we got blown out by Vandy <laughs> and then lost to LSU and had we, the backstop play. We, we don't talk about the LSU. We, we can't talk about the World Series. We can't. We, we'll talk about, see, the Tennessee game happened. And I don't know what happened between there, but then the Georgia Tech regional happened. At, the North and, Carolina. And then after that, it was kind of a blur, too. Yeah. Who knows what happened? We after just that. went to Omaha. Anyway, I think that that's a solid lineup. I, because, I mean, I think changing. With Cody on the bump. Yeah, with, with, yeah, with, I mean, changing Rankin and Steven doesn't change much. No. They're both similar players at the plate, Oh, like righty-lefty. You know what's interesting? Rankin changing his uh, batting stance. It is. I, I actually noticed that. Yeah, and it, it, he went, I remember he got down to an 0-2 count and went back to his old stance. Did he really? He did. I noticed something like different so from weird. the way he was standing in the box. Because he's usually, like, last year and the year before, he was very crouched, wide stance, went to a very narrow, stood-straight-up stance. And I'm not. What if that's like a defense thing? I would say I'm not a technical baseball kind of guy. I didn't play the sport, but I don't. I don't know what it does. It's not uncommon, but I think it's more of just like a comfort thing. But also, you have to remember with two strikes, you're kind of fighting anything off that you don't like. True. So like if if a ball's coming down the plate and it's you I know feel it's like a that strike, makes it, I feel like that makes the swing shorter. Exactly, because if there's a ball that you don't like, but you know it's going to be a strike, if you're just going to try and put the bat on the ball and foul it off, right? You're not even. You're not going to try and actually put it into play or anything. Yeah. On the other side of this break, Auburn basketball is it's painful Pain. for us. It's painful. We're in Spain, but the S is silent. <laughs> yes, drinking champagne without the sham. We'll be back discussing Auburn basketball on the scoreboard on Weagle 91.1 FM. We're already halfway done with the scoreboard on Weagle 91.1 FM. You can find more Weagle content at WeagleFM.com or on social media at Weagle underscore AU. And we're back. It's the scoreboard WEGL 91.1 FM. Or if you're streaming live to me and Jacob Hillman on WeagleFM.com, we welcome you to the show. Thursday, February 25th, 4.30 here in the Weagle Studios, 4.32 to be exact. Picture perfect day on the planes, like I mentioned. Jacob even broke out the short sleeve shirt wearing his Tiger Woods Tiger Slam shirt. <sighs> yes. You know, just yesterday I, I had I had to work the Auburn High basketball game, so I was I had to dress up. I wore my tiger polo, but today I had to, after what the after the events of Tuesday, I just had to wear it because I'm just thankful he's alive at well, this point. I'm not gonna lie, when I was sitting at my desk at home and those I saw the report come out, 
very eerily similar vibes. That's what Kobe. everyone says. Like I, literally saying it's like Tiger Woods has been involved in a car accident. I remember in my car last year, it's like Kobe Bryant has been in a helicopter crash. I was like, well, here we go. And it was just, it was all so similar because it happened several, like the reports came out several hours later. It, there's rumors like the Jaws of Life thing. That wasn't true. That like you can see the car. There was no way the Jaws of Life was used on that thing. I think there was an axe had to be used so that they could like get his leg out, which his leg was really messed up. It's compound fractures. I can't pronounce it's the commu something it means the bone is broken in two different places tiger woods is going to be on a long road to recovery just to have a normal life which is very very unfortunate but just glad he's still with us and i don't even know if we're going to get updates in the next several months to be honest yeah no matter your opinion on him he has been one of the best that golf is he's also the best golf has ever seen think of all athletes in the world how many have like caught this many bad breaks he's had a lot of them like think about it like it goes back to really, I'm sure I'm sure I'm missing something from prior to this, but the 2008 U.S. Open, he won it, but he did it on a broken leg, and then of course the next year the scandal, and then just all the injuries in the previous years, the DUI. That's what I was most afraid of. I'm glad that he wasn't under the influence of anything, because he just had a back surgery. I was afraid he was back on the painkillers, but yeah, well he wasn't. He's he, gonna make a full recovery. He wasn't impaired by anything. Like he was. It was fine. Um, he rolled 700 feet, which to put it in perspective was over two football fields. So, yeah. Um, but like you said, we're glad he's okay. Hoping for full recovery for him. Um, Ooh, a lot of more pain. Yeah. Champagne without the sham. Spain with the S being silent. Whatever you want to call it. It is Auburn basketball's 2021 basketball season. Um, last night, or no, not last night. Tuesday night, uh, Auburn basketball faced off in Auburn Arena against the Florida Gators, losing that game 74-57. to and, I mean, they probably should have lost by a lot more, if I'm being quite honest. Yeah. 21 turnovers will do that to you. And especially, you're going to turn the ball over 21 times when you don't have a single point guard on your roster. And I'm not taking any shots at Alan Flanagan. He, he's just, he can't help it. He's not a point guard. He doesn't know. Well, because when Sharif was out, it was Justin Powell. Yeah. And then Justin Powell is dealing with that concussion still. God bless him. Golly. Alan Flanagan's had to step up. We saw it. Early in the season against Ole Miss, and this, it was the same result. So, like I said, this is nothing against Alan Flanagan, but, I mean, him playing point guard just does not work. It doesn't. It doesn't. Alan only had six points and only four assists. He had seven turnovers. So, and he, and I'll give it to him. He's trying. He's out there. He's Oh, he's showing doing, a lot of effort. He's doing the best he can. Um, I mean, heck, no knock against him, but even Leor and Preston Cook got some playing time. I think that was the note when see Leor, Leor's played this season, and when he yes. came in, it was like okay. When Preston Cook came in, that's when I was like, uh, I was I was at the game with uh, Michael Floyd. He he looked at me and said, "We are desperate." Yeah, and Auburn was desperate because they were getting blown out of the gym, and they start they they chipped away at times. But it wasn't enough, and they just didn't have the firepower to do it. Well, and something else, too, is when Sharif Cooper's out, you need to have bench production. How many points do you think Auburn's bench had? I haven't looked at the box score because I just... Just give me a, give me a guess. How many points do you think Auburn's bench had? I'm going to guess four. And they're 57 points. Okay, you're a little more conservative than I've thought because it's six. Golly. Because... You need a lot more production than just six points off the bench. Now, granted... So, Dylan had a dunk. And Dylan had one dunk. Oh, what's the other points? I, I want to guess. I'll the give other you points. who they are. It's Chris Moore and Babatunde. I'm trying to think. Okay, Babatunde had a flailing off the glass. Yeah, you're right. Um, and then Chris had his own two points. So 
And I'll give it to him. Jamal and Devin Cambers were both starting because Sharif was out. I'll give it to him. But off the bench, man, six points. Now, Bruce did applaud Auburn's effort. He said they looked a lot more energized and sharp and ready to play uh, against Florida than they did against their last game against LSU where they got beat out of the gym. Um, but that was, it was horrendous. It was bad. I mean, I, walking out of the arena, I, there was nothing for me to say. I'm still almost there, but it, it's, it's more about Florida's a good team. They're not one of the best in the SEC. Oh, they might be. But they are a good team where chances are, I, I don't think Auburn was, like they were a one-point favorite when Vegas didn't know Sharif was out. But I would have bet on Florida. I, I was going to say, bet on Florida. even with Sharif, I think Auburn would have lost that game. So, Sorry, go ahead and finish what you're going to say. But without him, this is what you should expect. So, okay, so the reason why Sharif's out, if you're curious, he sprained his ankle in practice on Sunday, which no nobody knew until Jimmy Dyke said on the ESPN broadcast a minute into the broadcast, and Sharif Cooper will not be playing due to that. Assuming Sharif Cooper does not play the rest of the season, I'm going to be honest, Auburn does not win another game. Nope. Mama, even Mississippi State. And Tennessee. Mississippi State is obviously the best chance at it, but yeah. I still don't think. I don't what think they so. showed last night, just it was not good. So or here, Tuesday night. Here's the question I have, and the answer might be a little more obvious than I assume it to be, but has Auburn given up on this year and is already looking forward to next year? So I don't, think they're get, I don't think they've given up on this year because they're looking to next year. Because all these guys are coming back. You, you're solidify yourself in the lineup, in the rotation. That's what you should be doing if you're an Auburn player right now. Especially without Sharif because I'm still on the Sharif's gone bandwagon. I'm not. I know you're not. And I think the injury does kind of help your prediction there. But solidify yourself if you're an Auburn player. That's what you should be doing over these next few games. And the effort will show it. And just the production, especially off the bench. I, I think everyone said it, especially on Twitter. Dylan Carwell is everyone's favorite player. The energy he shows, just the happy-go-lucky guy. I, he, he said, pre-game warm-ups, he walked over to get a water. Someone said hi to him. He smiled, waved at him. We love Dylan Carwell. Yeah. Come on. We need some production off the bench. And he's done that in several games. Let's do it consistently. Yeah, Dylan. not lately. And, and that goes for everyone. I'm not, See, I'm not just targeting him, but using him as an example because – I love Dylan Carwell, and I think he's going to be one of the best four-year players that Auburn has because now we're kind of moving into the fact where these really good Auburn players are going to go pro after two or three years and sometimes even one year in Isaac Okoro's case. Dylan Carwell can solidify himself as like an Auburn legend if he becomes a dominant center. See, and the thing is, is you have to, to think that that's the message that Bruce and the coaching staff are, are putting out there right now. Is I think it's kind of understood that it's like the rest of the season doesn't mean Crap. No. So I think the message right now, if you're Bruce and if you're Steven and Ira and Wes is, all right, guys, it's like, we know that this season hasn't been what you wanted it to be. This year hasn't been what anybody thought it was going to be. We have had a lot of growing pains this year. That's how I would define this year's growing pains. But your spot next year has not been solidified yet. So why not use these last few games against quality opponents to show us something more to put you out there? And Bruce also mentioned, too, a big thing that a lot of people forget is the fact that when did COVID start? 
and like honestly, like answer the question. Like, what was happening with Auburn basketball when COVID started and everything was shutting down? They were preparing for the SEC tournament. Exactly. So not only did Auburn not get to finish their season last year, and the sophomores on this team didn't get continue to play and get experience, their conditioning and strength program got cut out for Bird. five months. Yeah, they didn't come back to campus till July. So it might have been later than that. They probably didn't. They didn't start. Anything well, they haven't had August. a COVID test till July, so that's True. what I'm going based off of. Good so point. from March to July, that's for almost five months that you haven't been working out, you haven't been conditioning, playing pickup, getting some scrimmages in, implementing offense. So my point being the fact that that's something that Auburn's also been cut short of, which is pretty evident right now. Auburn's getting banged out inside. And hey, another thing. Sharif practiced and didn't practice, then practiced again, then didn't get to play while he was practicing, then he played and... I mean, what? I mean, what? So, like, I, I what think is this basketball team? Honestly, it's a lot of growing pains, and I think that's when when Bruce sits down after the last game of the year, when they have their last team meeting before they get a few weeks worth of a break, and then they have to come back for workouts. Says, "Hey guys, like, look, this year wasn't what I expected either." Okay, like COVID, we implemented allegations against us, like a postseason ban. Like we're like we put that on us, so no, there's nothing we can do about it. All we can do is look forward, and it's like, we're in this together. Because that's what Bruce has always been about. He's bonded. You've seen the pregame speeches. You know what he means to his players, so they're going to listen. If he tells these guys, like, look, we're going to work hard during the offseason. We're going to go out there and kick some rear end next year. They're going to buy in, and Auburn will be bigger and stronger to do so. Oh, and they they are in it together. Like they, like I said. They've never given up. None of them. Yes, they've never given up, and I, they know deep in their head, we're all going to be together next year. Unless someone transfers, and if someone transfers, it's one guy or two guys maybe, and Sharif might go pro. So it's one of those things where this team is going to be very tight-knitted next year, and you're going to add Jabari Smith and Trey Alexander. I I don't know. No, See, bi- no big rings for Auburn this year. No. But hey, next year, if these guys can really just gel together and get a full offseason, you never know. Well, speaking of big rings, there's a team in the NBA that's trying to claim... A big ring. And it's Utah Jazz. They are red hot. We're going to speak about them on the other side of the break to close this show out. Bay Marks to Jacob Hillman. Don't go anywhere. This is the scoreboard. WGL. One more segment before we turn off the scoreboard for the day. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the scoreboard with Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. You can listen to us live every Thursday at 4 p.m. on WGL 91.1 FM or at WGLFM.com. Welcome back into the scoreboard. Final segment of the hour. If you miss any of today's show, Good Apple, Spotify, wherever you find your podcast, search scoreboard, and you can find the replay of today's episode once we get it uploaded after this. Jacob Hillman, Babe Marks with you for the last 15 minutes of the hour, and we're moving into the NBA, where the Utah Jazz are on an absolute tear. They're on a mission to win an NBA championship, because that's what they look like right now, an hey. NBA champion, because you see what they did to the Lakers last night? Yeah, they beat them 114-89. Pure domination. See, and not only that, but lately they beat the Lakers, they beat the Clippers, they beat the 76ers, they beat the Bucks, the Celtics, the Heat. I mean, it's not like they're just playing the Hawks and Pistons and Rockets. Sorry. But they're playing... Don't do that to me. Yeah. (laughs) It's true, but don't do that to me. (laughs) They're playing quality opponents, and they're blowing them out of the gym. I mean, LeBron only had 19 points last night, so they shut LeBron down. Um, granted, it was on their home court, but in the NBA, it doesn't really matter. The second highest scoring on the pers- team, uh, person on the team was uh, Harrell, who was coming off the bench with 16. But point being, I mean, I think they've won 
they've lost one game in their last 10, and how many in their last 20 I think they're like 21 in their last 22. Yeah, it's bizarre. It is very bizarre. And, I mean, looking at the box score, like you said for the Lakers, look at the Jazz. Their highest point scorer was Clarkson and Gobert with 18. And they scored 114 points. It's not like they, it was a defensive slugfest where they won 90-70. to 70. And look at their plus-minus, especially with the starting lineup. <laughs> and then four guys coming off the bench having a bunch of pluses. And then you look at the Lakers, and the Lakers were minus 20 with LeBron on the floor. Minus 18 with Harrell. No, excuse me, that's Wesley Matthews. But minus 15 with Montrez Harrell. Yeah, I mean, minus 16 with uh, Horton Tucker on the floor as well. So they desperately need Anthony Davis back. So, sorry. Look, man. So I know you're about to say something. Look, man. These Jazz are for real. I know the Jazz are for real, but it makes you want to ask the question, do they win this game if AD's healthy? Oh, they win this game. I don't know. They win it by 25. So if you're the Lakers, because the Lakers are going to be the talk of the NBA, you've kind of got to make a move before the trade deadline. It's, what, it's like, what do you want? Ooh, I didn't think about that. Because Ooh, do you want, getting spicy. Well, you don't really want a point guard. You have LeBron. Right. So who's a shooting guard out there that you could trade for? Because you already have AD at power forward, you already have LeBron, and then you have Gasol, and then Harrell at center, so those are kind of already taken up as well. Who's a shooting guard you might want to go after? Whew. I mean, I think, and I, you know, I'm trying to look, like, look at so I don't miss anybody. I mean, I really don't know. Because think, because think about it. I think that's their missing piece. It, it's a bunch of, feels like a bunch of big men on, uh, on the trade block. And, and looking at these rankings, oh my God, what do they got Bradley Beal? I don't think about him, but what, if, what do they got him? That would be, well, dude, Washington would just cancel their basketball team. They would. <laughs> That's been their only bright spot besides a little bit of rust. But come on, he's going to be gone after this season at the very latest. I'm trying to look at 2021 trade targets. Because looking at this, this is from Hoops Hype. The top five are like Kyle Lowry. He's not a shooting guard. Bradley Bill, I just saw that one. And then Austin Rivers, How I guess. How is Ben Simmons on the trade block? Well, uh, I don't know. He's only average, or he's only averaging a little under 13 and 8. But I'm trying to see. All right, Michael Porter Jr., he's on the shooting block. Zach, or on the trading block. Zach Levine? I don't think Chicago gets rid of him. I don't think they do either, but never never doubt it. See, because the big, Rosa, I was going to say that one. The, the big trading blocks that everyone's talking about is Drummond and Porzingis, which we kind of spoke into existence last weekend. Literally. But, yes, that is probably the biggest name they could possibly get. Hey, how mad would you be if the Hawks traded John Collins to the Lakers? So here's the thing. It would be good because you're just calling off the season. Like, it has not gone... Y'all been calling off the season since 2014, though. <laughs> I know, I know. And this is the best chance at it because you're still playing a week east other than like the Nets and the 76ers. So the thing about John Collins, you know, this is totally going off topic, but he is an exciting player. I love watching him. He has a great dynamic with Trey. But if we trade him, I'm I'm willing to be angry, but I'm also going to be like, all right, look, this year was not the year. So let's get some trade. Let's get some draft picks. And let's do it next year. John Collins might be a really good fit in LA. I'm not gonna. He lie. might be. You know, I'll just stop talking about the Hawks. That's okay, okay, see, okay, see was uh, because they right, have all they have yeah. all those tra- uh, all those draft picks. That was kind of the target at first, but I don't know Look, if that's if they still... don't build around SGA. Something's wrong. 
in Oklahoma City. I think SGA and John Collins would be a great dynamic. Oh, for sure. That That's a really young backcourt that's going to be fun to watch. Yeah. And I think we would just take one lottery pick for for John Collins. Yeah. I, if I'm okay, see, I'm but bring him here. Yeah. So, but, but back to the Lakers. Yeah. I think Austin Rivers would be the guy because he's not that expensive, but he's still consistent and. But how, can, like, what's the productivity you're going to get out of it, though? Like, consistent for seven or eight points a game? Like, that's, that's what he's averaging. But he, yeah. He's averaging seven points per game and but two rebounds per game. You're still getting that with the guys that are currently playing Good right point. Now is the point. But the thing is, is could just a fresh face make the difference? See, I don't know. I don't know. That's that's what it comes down to. And then it's, I re- I didn't even think about Bradley Bill. I was thinking about DeMar DeRozan the whole time. But um, I don't think there's any chance they do that, though. Right? Mm-hmm. Right? You know, right? You talking about Washington? Yeah, dude. Weird teams do weird things when they're desperate, when they're down bad. But the thing is, is all right, see, here's the thing: if you do that, if you give him to the Lakers for nothing, Russell Westbrook's gonna be pissed off, and he's gonna leave. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, well, I'm not too th- sold on Bradley Beal leaving this by the trade deadline. I think it's more this during offseason. the summer. Yeah. yeah, I can see that too, but. East is still pretty standard right now. Utah and then the LA teams, followed by Phoenix, who's still there, and it's kind of a cluster. Then you look over to the East. Brooklyn slowly <laughs> creeping up on the 76ers. They're half a game back out of first. After that's Milwaukee at 19 and 13 in the third spot. Indiana, Toronto, Chicago, Charlotte, and Miami close out the playoff picture. And then you have the Celtics, Knicks, and then everybody else, which, dude, speaking of trade deadline, Celtics got to do something as well. I mean,. I don't, they, they need something too. Let's see. Look, look at their last ten. What, what's they're their, three and seven in their last ten? They've lost three in a row. I don't know what they can do because Jason Tatum is doing Jason Tatum things. Jalen Outside Brown's of that, still playing well. Yeah, yeah. Besides them two, Kemba's been hurt. He hasn't been performing when he's not hurt. I don't even know. Marcus Smart's been hurt too. I think when Which they Michael get, Jordan looks great for getting rid of Kimba right now. Yeah, that is true. But when Marcus Smart comes back, I think it'll change things a little bit. I don't think it's gonna turn them into a contender, but it'll defensively it'll move them up. Yeah. But I don't know what they could do. Maybe they need a big man. Don't they still they have Tice still? I think they should get yes. rid of him. Yeah, he's Hey, Andre Drummond's <laughs> on the trade block. He dude, Tice is eight eight points per game and five rebounds per game. Yeah, they need to get Drummond. Yeah, Drummond's on the trade block. Let's see what he's averaging this year. Drummond's doing really hey. well with Colin Sexton. Hey, and it, their record wouldn't show for it. <laughs> They're 12 and 21. No, it does not. They might make the playoffs because the East is so bad. Uh, mm. I said might. Yeah. Are they Andre having Drummond has 13 and a half rebounds this year, and he's averaging 17.5 points per game. So I'd trade up Tyson money or. Tr- or yeah, trade Tyson a pick. And I think that. I think Andre Drummond would. Turn them into a contender with it with smart returning and adding Andre Drummond. I think that could do it, and you never know. Kemba might really pick up the pace in the last several weeks and months of the season. But I don't know. The Celtics are kind of a mess. They are. I just really think when the trade deadline comes comes around the corner, I know All Star Weekend is soon, so we're gonna try and focus on the happy things when that comes around. But trade deadline when it does come around the corner, we're gonna be looking at some very weird. Trades going. Down. You know what? We need an exciting trade deadline. I feel like we haven't had really that. Hey, we're we're kind of set up for years. one right now. We are. And if Bradley Beal gets traded, that's where the fireworks go off. Porzingis is the same. That's the Thanos snap. 
No, that's turbo shot against Tennessee. That's right. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> well, if you missed any part of today's episode, you can go back and listen to it on any podcasting platform, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. As for me and Jacob, we'll be back live next Thursday here on Weagle 91.1 FM if you were to catch us live then. If not, go listen to us on the podcasting platforms. For Jacob Hillman, I'm Bay Marks. Go outside. Enjoy the sun. It's a pretty day on the plains. Catch us next time. WGL 91.1 FM. This has been The Scoreboard. This has been The Scoreboard on 91.1 FM WEGL with Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. Join us every Thursday at 4 as Jacob and Bay cover all the happenings in sports. You can keep up with all the great shows on Weagle by streaming us on our website at WEGLFM.com and following us on Twitter and Instagram at WEGL underscore AU.